and welcome to Time to Adapt, where we break down movies and the books behind them. I'm Selena, and with always, with me always, <laughs> is Mac. Hello, everyone. How y'all doing tonight? <laughs> or, or today. today. Whenever, Whenever you're watching time this. you're listening. We're happy that watching you're listening your to us. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's been some time, but you know, we're here. We are here. And today we're going to be talking about Cloud Atlas because why not get all trippy? Yes. Um, I've been really excited to do this episode for quite some time. It's um, it's a personal favorite book of mine, as well as the adaptation, while having some problems, is to this day, I think, one of the most incredible things I've noticed. Most, one of the more incredible achievements for good for for good or bad of it if that makes any sense i guess yeah uh, this was my first like foray into the book like i i was introduced to the story through the film so this was really cool to kind of go to the back to the source material absolutely um we're going to be trying a little different format than usual like we're trying to kind of figure out what works so um basically we're not going to be rambling as much anymore <laughs> we're going to try and cut down our rambling we're really good at it um, but yeah, it if, might not happen when it comes to Shakespeare, though, because you know, oh, we, I will all ramble. we'll do is we'll ramble about Shakespeare. Yeah, Shakespeare is my weakness. That is still coming up this April. We're gonna do two Shakespeare adaptations. Yeah, so keep your ears open for that. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you guys want to talk to us about anything specific or have any suggestions on adaptations, we should read and watch and talk about let us know we have an email because we are now very official We're so <laughs> official uh it's time to adapt capital z uh zima at gmail.com um we'll put up a link on yeah we'll um, put up a link facebook and twitter or wherever we put wherever this. we where we are on the internet so we'll put that up so yes. let us know if you guys have any feedback or any suggestions or just want to say you're doing a good job because that'd be nice too yeah um, just to let you guys know, I feel like we haven't really done a good job of this in the past. So we're going to kind of try and do spoiler alert, you know, at the beginning of our episodes to be like, hey, by the way, we might accidentally talk about, you know, some oh. details. Yeah. Well, um, we're talking about the book because we read the whole book and we watched the whole movie. So we're going to talk about are everything. Feats. Like, they that's are a long book. And that's a pretty long film. So, again... <laughs> Spoiler alert! But Be if you're warned. if you're honestly worried about spoilers and you're listening to us, you're not doing it right. Okay. You can still listen to us and just go back to the book either way. It'll Absolutely. be a fun time. So I guess we should dive into the book. Um, as I said, this was my first time kind of being introduced to the book, so I was excited because I remember watching the film, being like, "What am I watching?" Not in a bad way, just like it's so twisty turny. Uh, and the book really took me by surprise. Um, I guess we should really talk about the the background. So, do yeah. you wanna do you wanna dive into that, or should I dive into that? I can dive into that. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I first saw it when it was in theaters in 2012. It was a notorious kind of. It was it wasn't a notorious, but it was it kind of flopped, and it's and I'm mad that it flopped because I was the one like screaming at people, "Go see this movie! It's so good!" And they were all like, "No, it looks stupid." <laughs> I, don't I get it. Think Hugh I Grant saw it in play, theaters. I think I, I saw get it. it. Hugh Grant plays a cannibal of all things. That's not something you'd ever see. Yeah. 
in a movie. He plays strictly villains, which I'm he, actually He and a Hugo fan Weaving of. play strictly villains. We'll get into well, that. Well, Hugo Re- Weaving usually, like, he, he's a villainous face, character. He looks like a villain. And I mean, it's a Wachowski film. Of course he's going to play the villain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I so think. So anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, to those who are not who don't know, Cloud Atlas is a story that weaves together the lives of six characters. The book is set up as sort of like a, a Russian nesting doll. So there are six stories, the Pacific Journal of Adam Ewing, letters from, God, what is that? I can never say it correctly. It's basically a story about these two young, the, the, it's the story of this young man going to. Oh, the, ha, wait, the letters, letters from, from Ziegelheim? Ziegelheim. Ziegelheim. And never then yes. Half-Lives, The First Louis Ray Mystery, Ghastly Ordeal of Tim- Timothy Cavendish, The Orison of Song Me, uh, Slusha's Crossins and everything after, yes. and then it goes in rever- It goes back to kind of how it starts. Each so. one goes to the half. Each story goes to the halfway point, and then except for another the story. Sloshin. Except for yeah, the slosh Slusha's Crossing. Slusha's Crossing. It's that chapter. That like section is a bit of a mouthful. Yes. Um. It's yeah. We'll we'll get into that a bit more basically um the yeah, stories so, are nest are basically nestled into each other yeah so the book begins in 1850 in the south pacific with adam ewing an american notary who becomes friends with a dr henry goose the book then jumps forward in time to 1931 belgium where we meet robert frobisher a composer who has been disinherited by his family he goes to live and work with an aging composer and his family the story then again jumps forward in time to 1975 in california we're now following louis ray a young reporter who is looking for a story that isn't fluff, like that isn't a fluff piece um, she meets an older man named Sig- Sigsmith. Who is char- the same character that shows up in the Robert Frobisher story. Yes. Uh, Robert For- uh, The Robert Frobisher story is written as letters to Sigsmith. Um, and then we get we get introduced to him again in Louisa Ray's story. Um, Sigsmith points her in the direction of a story, the story of, of her career involving corporate greed and murder. Her section ends with her being driven off a cliff and then we are introduced to Timothy Cavendish in present-day England. He's a 65-year-old publisher who hasn't had any or much luck um, until, well, or success, much I guess. Much success now. Until his client throws a critic to his death off of, like, a hotel, like, Lobby story. At, at the middle of, a um, like, a big prestigious book, book award ceremony. Yeah. It's it's darkly humorous, but it we'll is, get into it's that. It's a hilarious section. Yes. Um so his now his client is in jail and the books are flying off the shelves. Uh with newfound success of money, Cavendish is forced to escape to the countryside to avoid basically being bitten beaten up by his client's brothers who are like, We where's the money? We're gonna take it all. And his brother, Cavendish's brother, basically is like, yeah, I have a place for you to stay in the country. It ends up being a senior home, and he gets locked up in the senior living center against his will. And it's a special type of senior home where it's like um, the- Dark as hell. It's dark (laughs) as hell, and like the- The the, the staff are kind of abusive. The staff are abusive. The entire reason that it's set up, it's so 
um, the younger generations can lock up their parents and they can like use their wait till they die for their money. Yeah, basically. basically. Um, and then again, the story switches and it jumps forward um, of several more years in the future to follow Songmi, a clone or fabricant yes. um, in dystopian futuristic state of Korea. She works in a burger place, um, Papa Song. Papa Song, yeah. But she begins to experience a form of like she starts to be have like a consciousness um, and like a mind of her own and is swept up in this like resistance movement after being taken to a university. And her story is very fascinating. It's one of my favorites. Oh, it's it's um, it's and, the one that's the most like dystopian. It's the most Wachowski. And we'll get into that. Yeah. The last introduction to our last character is Zachary. He is from a post-apocalyptic Hawaii. His story revolves, um, well, his story begins with the arrival of an outsider named Marinim, like the, the majority of his story. Yeah. Um, and Marinim is from, I guess, more technological, like advanced group of people in this era, in this time, uh, who has come to learn his people's way of life. Uh, after this, the book boomerangs back, so it goes kind of back in time. So after and Zachary's each story ends on a cliff. Each story up until it, Susha's Crossing ends on some sort of cliffhanger. Yeah. So Zachary's story completes, and then it's back to Songmi, back to uh, Cavendish, back to Louise Theray, back um, to Letters from Ziegelheim, and, and then, then back to and then the book ends on Pacific Adam Journal of Adam Ewing. So it is. At first, it's really weird because, like, I I was kind of pissed because I'm like, holy shit! Like, there's a cliffhanger, and now you're making me learn about a new character. But yes, it it is really it's it's one of those stories and books where not a lot happens for the first part, and it oh, takes yeah. a lot to just power through. As uh, soon as as soon, I don't know, as soon as we it I can got be to, a little it, the beginning. It's set up very much as like it's. Every section is written like it's from that time period. Yeah. Like the futuristic stuff is may obviously very fictional because it's like we don't really know how people t will talk or people will act in the future. But everything that's in the past is written like it's in that time period. Yes. So the the first story in 1850, it's very much like reading a book in the 1850s. Like yes. so sometimes the language is a little like, it's not what you're accustomed to when you first jump into the book. You're like, it's going to yes. be something more like sci-fi, you know? But it's like, oh, shoot, this is like a period piece. And it's this, like, stuffy American going to the Pacific Islands being like, brown people. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ben's basically the first part is just like, hmm, these brown people interesting like <laughs> and then he goes for a walk and it's so hot that he faints and then he is such a dandy he really is like he it's it's the word for it i guess just yep. to use like hey my it's my fist oh, and i cannot take this it's so heat, heat. <laughs> and just falls over uh but the thing is his the character that he meets um henry goose tells him that he has uh he's a doctor henry goose and he's like oh you have this the Polynesian worm. Yeah. <laughs> Who a parasite that's in his brain and it's make it's killing him. Turns out that what you find out in the second part um is that Henry Goose is slowly killing him 
with, uh, what was it, arsenic? It's like a form of arsenic. It, yeah. it, it was like, it was a mixture of poison. So uh, To to get his money. In fact, he didn't actually have any money, yeah. which I thought which was Which has changed in the book, but we'll talk about well, that. Changed in the film, you mean. Changed in the, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> in the oh, book, he, he, the trunk that, uh, what's his name, goes, Henry Goose opens, is literally empty. And so he was about to kill this man for nothing. There's a lot more like complexities involved, uh, but we're just trying to skim because we could talk about every section. Yes. In detail. We pretty much could. There's there's a lot to unpack in this in the book and the movie. Um, for one, ex- one of the big examples that I like to talk about is that um, one of the motives in the book, and there's a video essay out there by Like Stories for Old. And he talked about the interconnectedness of cause and effect. And that's really something that is brought up in a couple of quotes from certain characters, including the one of the more famous ones that's stated in, I think, like two or three of the stories, which are the weak are meat and the strong do eat. Yeah. And it's usually said by one of the more the, villainous the, characters. Yeah, to be like, I'm doing this because you know, nature. Yes. Um, and that's basically the, what the book focuses. Cause when I finished, I was like, it ends with the American notary, um, Adam Ewing back in San Francisco. Being in like, the book, I he's sur- on his way to San Francisco. Oh, he's on, yeah. He's on his way to San Francisco and he's like, I've survived. And I owe my life to a self freed slave. So I'm going to join the abolitionists with my wife. Yeah, and that's how the book ends. So you kind of want like a big grand, like how I felt when I when I first like put it down was, oh, there's no giant connection besides the like the little mentions of each character and each other's like stories throughout. Like where um, I believe it was for Louis uh, for Louisa Ray. Her story turns up in Timothy Timothy Cavendish's as like a novel that he's reading. Yes. Um. And then Ro- Robert Frobisher sees Adam Ewing's book, but um, he only reads half of it. But he only he reads could half of only it. find half of it. And on top of that, Sun Mi sees a movie adaptation of the ghastly ordeal of Timothy Cavendish, and Sun Mi herself is. A god, basically worshipped as a god in the in the Susha's Crossing story arc, which is an interesting story arc in and itself because both Sunmi and Susha's Crossing both take place after some cataclysmic event. Now, in the first one, in the in the Sunmi storyline, it's implied that it happened like five or ten years ago, mm-hmm. and that like. Basically, all of Southeastern Asia was like the only place that was not affected by it. And it's kind of implied that it was some sort of like a global warming type of event because they're like within 100 years, all of Neo Soul, as it's called, will Mm -hmm. be underwater. It's Neo Soul Corporeus because basically the whole society is run by corporations. Yes. Um, That's not familiar, America. (laughs) Everything is about uh, consumers and... Uh, Honor thy consumer. Yeah. That's that's what uh the one of the that's one of like the laws that are written for the <laughs> fabricants for the right? fabricants. Yes. Yeah. Um. 
and the other one, Solution's Crossing, takes place a hundred and like ten years after, as it's called, the fall. And in the book, it's 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 Hawaii. They're they're on they're in Hawaii. Yeah, they call it Big Isle. Big Isle. The 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 natives call it Big Isle, but those who from the other other world call it oh, it's it's Hawaii to them. So. Yeah, maybe we should tell... So, if you guys aren't aware, Cloud Atlas is written by David Mitchell, just if you wanted to know who the author was. And I on forgot a similar we should note, probably said that. Yeah, <laughs> on a similar note, back in January, David Mitchell celebrated his 50th birthday. Good so, happy him. belated birthday, David Mitchell. <laughs> and yeah. thank you for listening. <laughs> he probably doesn't listen. No, probably. Okay. <laughs> I'm not hurt. <laughs> so, another thing that's one of the other motives is reincarnation and karma. Now, this was kind of one of the reasons I really liked the movie when I first saw it was because it kind of is part of this this set belief structure that I'm very much um, a believer in, which is reincarnation and that we are we're not reincarnated as um, the same person, but we're reincarnated in the decisions we make. Mm -hmm. So I could go into it forever and ever, but I'm only going to say this is that like. The idea, to me, the idea of deja vu isn't like a, oh, where have I been done this before? This is, it is a, you made a decision very similar to this at some point in one of your past lives. And that's what, that, that explains deja vu and reincarnation and all that jazz. But as well as karma in that, in the book, karma. Because in the book, certain characters such as Tom Tom Hanks's character characters within Cloud Atlas the yeah are he's like an everyman type of character so at one point he plays except the, for Henry Goose well i mean oh. let me get into it yeah all he, you. <laughs> uh, he um he's the everyman in that his story arc his structure his character structure can change any way shape or form so in the Pacific Journal of Adam Ewing he's the villain for most, for mo- for mo- mostly the villain, and then as it continue, as the story arcs continue, he becomes less and less of a villain in certain ways. So, like in Letters from Zurich, he's Letters from Ziegelheim. Yeah, he's this. He plays like the the hotel keeper who helps the main character, but he's also kind of he's in it for his own reasons, also. And it's a little so. different. Uh- in the book, because in the book, the reincarnations, I guess you could say, are one soul. The characters yes. in every story that we meet are, think of them as one person in different lifetimes. Yes. Whereas in the film, there are mar- multiple souls being reincarnated. Yes. Uh, as uh, Mac was saying, um, Tom Hanks' character, he... He starts he off as like starts, a villainous character, yeah. but then by the end of the storyline, he's the main character in Slusha's Crossing. So that really changes. It, it kind of changes how they're looking and yes. talking about reincarnation. Um, one thing that uh, a quote that I found that I guess that um, he had done, David Mitchell did for BBC Radio. Um, he said. He basically said literally all the main characters except one are reincarnations of the same soul in different bodies throughout the novel, identified by a birthmark. All the characters that we have, um, let's see, Adam Ewing, Robert Frobisher, Louisa Ray, Timothy Cavendish, Song Mi, 
uh, and Zachary, they all have a birthmark that looks like a comet. Yes. Um, and the birthmark varies on where it is. Where it is on the body. Yes. Um, that's just uh, back to the quote. That's just a symbol, really, of the universal of universal just nature of uh, humanity. The title itself, Cloud Atlas. The cloud refers to the ever-changing manifestations of the atlas, which is the fixed human nature, which is always thus and ever shall be. So the book's theme is basically the way that individuals prey on individuals, groups on groups, nations on nations, tribes on tribes. The weak are meat and the strong do eat. So I just take this theme and in some sense reincarnate that theme in another context. So that's his his words on reincarnation in the yes. book and how he approached. So now we can kind of talk a little more about the film. So it came out in 2012 and it was written and directed by Tom Zweigner and the Wachowski at the time siblings now sisters. Mm. So Tom Zweigner got his start in Germany doing films like Run Lola Run in 1998 or 1999 something like that. And then going on to do stuff like The International and Perfume, the story of a murder. Murderer. Ooh, that was, I wanted that to be good. I think it's good. We'll wait, talk wait, about that, that some other time. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Oh. Yeah, we'll talk about that a different So, yeah, Teichner talked about, Teichner, uh, Teichner's <laughs> Perfume, the story of a murderer. Maybe we can get into that some other time because that's a really amazing book mm-hmm. where, and the movie itself is kind of mixed and there's reasons why it's mixed, but I can possibly go into that myself some other time. Yeah. So maybe we'll talk about that book on another episode, but and then now. the Wachowski and the Wachowski sisters, um, who everybody knows the matrix speed, racer. speed racer, which I will defend that movie to my dying <laughs> breath. It is great. We're a fan of speed racer on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> We might talk about it sometime. We'll just watch we'll watch the original anime. Anyway, so the film was in development for four years, and there was a lot of issues with getting financial backing because, frankly, the mo- the book was considered unfilmable. There's just yeah, people thought it was impossible. So much to do. Yeah, there's just ev- there's every detail counts. Yes. And there's like these subtle little hints to, you know, the previous incar- uh, reincarnations and... Yeah, people just looked at the book and just panicked. They're like, we cannot do this in yeah. film. So we can't a, do this. <laughs> so they, they got like a good 50 or 60 million eventually. But then the Wachowski sisters had to put 7 million of their own money into it, which after financing, basically partially financing my own movie, that freaks me the hell out thinking about that. Money. And thinking <laughs> about like, holy shit, I could never pull that off. But on top of that, the German government um, granted the film $20 million because Tom Zweigner is kind of a well-known name in German cinema. Mm-hmm. So it got a budget of over $100 million, which makes it, to this date, one of the most expensive independent films ever made. Yeah, you, you when you see the film, you don't really think independent film, but yeah. learning about just when we did a little bit of looking around at the I guess the financial history of in the development of this film, it's like, dang, it, it took out. It, it was like a lot of work to try and get this to sell this to yeah. people. Um, and that's one thing that um, a lot of the Wachowski sisters films 
they're really amazing, huge ideas. And but it's scary to like the people who hold the money. The people who hold the money are not <laughs> as willing to see it. The last one they were really open to doing that for was probably the Matrix trilogy. But mm-hmm. that being said, the ensemble cast, um, of course, one of the main reasons it got financed was the star power. And the star power included Tom Hanks and Halle Berry, Jim Broadbent, Hugo Weaving, yeah. Hugh Grant, um, Jim, Jim Sturgis. Sturgis. Dona Bay, um, Ben Wishaw, Ben Wishaw, Keith David, uh, Susan Sarandon. That's right. Yeah, yeah, she's in there for that section. Um, for Timothy, Timothy yes. Cavendish's yes. section, and she plays the Ursula. She plays the um Love. wife of Reverend Horrocks too. Oh, oh yeah, but like ever- and the uh, like the uh, like the wise woman in Slusha's Crossing. Yes. See, yes. like there's, we'll have to, we're gonna talk about the prosthetics and. Yeah, it's crazy. The, it's the crazy. Time when we watched this together, Mac was like, "So that's that person," and I'm like, "Really? I didn't even realize." Yeah. Um, um, so on top of that, um, all the cast play multiple different characters throughout each story arc, and yeah, they can like be anything a, what, from a total of, uh, almost five characters, like five separate characters. Sometimes yeah, and it gets to crazy. the point where there are certain characters that. They only show up for maybe two seconds yeah. in certain story arcs. For example, Halle Berry is only in the Timothy Cavendish story arc for two seconds. Yeah. At the Lemon Party Awards. And then pff, Lemon Party. God damn it. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> it's okay, Mac. I know. Walk it off. <laughs> if you don't know what Lemon Party is, don't. You're lucky. You're a lucky person. Anyway. <laughs> the book. The book awards. <laughs> yes, the book awards. I just know that it's called like the lemon something awards in the book and the movie. Yeah. Anyway, so. But those little details. <laughs> those little details. And also there's a ton of prosthetics and makeup that go on to it. Some of it, a little. We're going to talk about we'll that. We'll talk about that We'll, in we'll a just minute. get through some of the more of the details of just the making. Yes. Uh, well, apparently um, talking about like the beginnings of how the Wachowskis began this journey to try and create and tackle this ginormous book adaptation. Um, apparently on the set for V for, for the V for Vendetta <laughs> in 2005, Natalie Portman handed Lana Wachowski a copy of the book. And a year later, the Wachowskis wrote the first draft of the script. Uh, and if you watch towards like the end of the credits, I think it's towards the end, right? I believe so. Yeah. Uh, Natalie Portman is given a special credit at because she's the end. reason this whole thing really got made. Yeah. Which is kind of a cool thing to think about. It's a fun little fact. Yeah. It's like, aw. <laughs> so the Wachowskis ended up directing the 1849. So the Adam Ewing section, the Neil Soul section, which makes sense. And the Sluice's Crossing segments. Yeah. Which and all makes sense. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> and the, then the super like sci fi stuff that's kind of their. Yeah. That's what and, they're really good at. And Tweichner is really good at like action filmmaking. So it would make sense for him to deal with the 1936, the um, letters from Ziegelheim story arc, the um, Louisa Ray mystery story arc, and the Timothy Cavendish story arc. It, it make, makes perfect sense. Yeah. So they really worked within their strengths on this oh, film. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, it kind of when it did come out, it kind of received very mixed response. Um, I remember when it first came out because I was just I remember people talking about the prosthetics, which I guess we can we'll go into now because yeah, um, 
there is what would you call it like race bending yes so yeah, so there's white actors playing Asian characters and there's also uh, Asian the characters playing white characters or which, playing <laughs> Latino characters yeah so I because of the material and how it, it's really interesting and kind of it's an interesting topic to try and like wrap your head around and try and what it how is this acceptable or not? Yes. Kind of where I'm I'm like, I understand why they did it mm-hmm. and it makes sense artistically. Um But it it's weird how But it is but it is really like kind of uncanny valley sometimes seeing some of the prosthetics. Like yes. Jim Sturgis's eyes, like yeah, <laughs> ew, yeah. in his eye, oh, in the Neo Soul, it's kind of. Hard. And then the bit where um, oh, Duna the- Bay plays Ewing's wife in the. They try the to end. make her like a white. They make woman. her look as white and Irish as possible, and it does not work. Oh, she looks like her eyelids are just yeah. glued to the top <laughs> of her head, and I was just like, oh god, that must have hurt. Yeah, that's all that went through my mind. But so, but I understand why they did it. Yes. And like the, her character, uh, her character and Jim Sturgis, their characters are supposed to meet throughout each lifetime. Yes. Because they have like a star-crossed lovers kind of almost yes. storyline in the film. In the book, it's very different because as I, as I said earlier, um, and as um, David Mitchell, like the writer said, they're one soul ex- apart from, yeah. I can't remember who that yes. outlier is. So- as I like to think of it, Cloud Atlas could only have ever come out in 2012. Because if it came out now, if it came out in the last three years, there would be a far bigger and more outrage over this, the yellow face and the yeah. white face, I guess. I, the race bending. We'll just, the race bending. Uh, it makes sense if you've read the book and you kind of know you see what they were trying to accomplish and they weren't like doing it because like, Oh, we can't afford new actors. Let's just it's take a crazy old ensemble cast. Yeah. Like they obviously it's not like it they're was just a having, very specific mm, creative choice that they went with. It's not like they're trying to do Mickey Rooney in um, oh, yeah. breakfast it, it at doesn't, Tiffany's. It doesn't come across no. in that way. Uh, but yeah, if, if you just look at the characters by themselves, you're just like, damn. Yeah. Ooh, that, so, that, that looks painful. Yeah. So Lily Wachowski said something that was really, um, I thought, very interesting regarding the film's mixed response. She said, as soon as critics encounter a piece of art they don't fully understand the first time going through it, they think it's the fault of the movie or the work of art. They think it's a mess. This doesn't make any sense. And they reject it just out of an almost knee-jerk response to some ambiguity or some gulf between what they expect should be able to understand and what they understand themselves. So that's pretty much how I feel about the film because I know people who hated it when it first came out, but once they watched it again and again, they were like, yo, this is really great. And this is always an issue, I think, with a lot of the Wachowskis' works like, look at Speed Racer. Speed Racer was something that when it came out, <laughs> Sorry, everyone I just laugh every time I hear hated Speed it. Racer. <laughs> everyone hated it. But then after like five years, and then now it's it's, it's over 10 years old, people are like, yo. We, it has a cult following. Of, it has a cult following, <laughs> and some people consider it a masterpiece. And I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I, I think it's a far. damn good film. It's fun. 
It is a lot of it's fun. It's kind of weird. It, uh, <laughs> it's really? Very, it's, it's actually weird? it's very weird because the relationship. The kid fights a monkey. It's it's great. And the relationship between the older brother and the sibling oh, God. is a little oh. incestuous. <laughs> but <Yes. laughs> okay, so among the things, the film itself is two hours and fifty one minutes long. It's a long ass film, but, but that's nowhere. It doesn't really feel. It, there are times where it kind of feels like it, but the yes. pacing and. Actually, the editing is something that I really, really love about this film. Like, it doesn't set up how it does in the book. It doesn't go um, from, like, the 1800s up to, like, the post-apocalyptic Hawaii, then back back down in time, if that makes sense. Um, It really jumps around where there's no clear path. It's really like a web of stories rather than, like, a... Uh, ascending and descending staircase. And what's even crazier is there's a four-hour cut out there somewhere. So this is what we know about that. So the film had a standing ovation when it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2012. And on top of that, there was all immediately these rumors of a four-hour cut because there's apparently a lot of those small segments that where the actors are only in there for like two seconds Apparently they had longer segments in these mo- in the in the movie. But they realized no one is going to sit through a 4-hour film, especially one where it's independently financed and based off of a book that hasn't even at, at that point had not sold like a million copies yet. It so, was it was a it wasn't like the it was book still a popular out, book. It, it won was, it was yeah, like it was nominated for the Man Booker Prize. Yeah, it was critically acclaimed when it came out, but Yeah. The movie definitely did boost its More people, visibility. Yeah, no more people did not know about the book than I did. think people kind of went out to buy the book after seeing the film being like what the fuck what did I just see yeah <laughs> let me get the source material <laughs> yes so there is a four hour cut and we know this because the CEO of Netflix saw it apparently and he Ooh. claims it's it'll it would if people saw it it would blow their minds Netflix, so which makes get me on li- that I want to see like, that four hour cut Wachowskis Tom Sveichner please Put it out, get like a special edition Blu-ray. I will throw all my money at that. I want it. I want it. I want it. And the thing about the film, which I enjoy, which I feel like the book gives this feeling to, is you could read it or watch it multiple times and pick up things that you didn't realize. Um, It's such a detailed universe, each each uh, like separately, the film is its own detailed universe. The the book is its own detailed universe. That every time you revisit it, you will find something new, um, and that's how I how I felt when we watched the film. Because each character, I mean, each actor plays so many people that, and the prosthetics can be so good or yes. so weird <laughs> that you don't real really realize it's them until you like look it up or yeah. have a Mac with you being like, so that's that person. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were talking about a computer for a second. I'm like, Oh no, I mean physical, like human formed Mac. Yes. Job of the hut with legs, just walking into the room. Spouting this- movie facts. <laughs> yes. Any so, movie facts or music facts you want to know. <laughs> yes. It's, it, 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 it's a curse. It really is a curse. So one of the other things that, um, I don't think really most people talk about is the con- musical connections in the book and the movie. So in the book, Robert Frobisher is writing this thing, the cloud Atlas sextet. And it shows up in 
Half-Lives, the Louisa Ray mystery, when Louisa Ray goes to a record guy looking for it, and he find and she finds it, and he's like, I, I've been listening to this all day, and I can't get it out of my head. It's so beautiful. And there's only like maybe five copies of this on the wor- in the world. So Oh, that was Ben Wish- That was Ben Wishaw, yeah. who basically plays Robert Frobisher in the Letters from Ziegelheim story arc. Yeah. Which is really kind of brings in the whole, you know, reincarnation connectivity thing. So then that piece of music shows up where I think like the band at the Lemon Awards is playing a part, a piece similar to it in the Timothy Cavendish story arc. And the song, it's like sung by the by the fabricants on their way to um, basically Being, death. Yeah. Death. And that's something that they also don't, that isn't really, really talked that much about, but that's one of the things in the film where I wish they'd explored song, uh, song me's storyline a bit better. Like, yes. Oh, well I guess more in depth because there's so much wealth to that story. Yes. Um, and they really cut it down. It works in the film. Yeah. It works. In and the it film. makes sense why they had to cut it down. There are certain things where like her whole, cause in the book, she, she's taken from the Papa songs and taken to a university. Cause I guess who is it that recognizes her, like her consciousness and, or her, I guess, I think human, I guess her humanity that's showing up in a clone. Um, So she's taken to a university to be taught. Yes. Um, So she goes to classes. She's kind of like a grad student's research project. Um, That grad student turns out to be a resistance fighter. Yes. And then in the, in the film, instead of that whole university bit, that's kind of cut out. Um, He's just like, so I'm. I'm a member of the resistance. Here, look, here's a computer, and learn everything. And she basically learns everything. Yeah. So, Um, and then she makes a manifesto, and which is she's killed. Yeah, she's she's captured. The resistance dies, and she's executed. And instead of taking it as like a a warning, she becomes a martyr. To we're not sure if it's just this one island. They, they, she's a martyr to them, or if it's like a worldwide thing. Yeah, it's never really explained. Nothing's really explained because the book, uh, it's from her perspective, her story. Yes, in in the book, we're talking about the book now. Sorry, we should probably be like, hey, so yeah. you're not confused because it is a very confusing web to try and untangle. Um, People are going to be trying to untangle this episode. <laughs> but yeah, so in the book, she's. She's being interrogated by an archivist mm. um, who is recording their session. Um, I guess he's not really interrogating her. He's basically having her account her life story. And it ends with her about to be um, executed. Executed, And that's kind of how it's left. Um, the only way that we see into like what happened afterwards is through Zachary's story when Marinem is like, so your God, Songmi, was actually a real life, not really person? Well, she was... A fabricant. Fab- who- she's a, she was a clone fabricant who reached this level of consciousness, Yes, wrote her manifesto, and was murdered for it. Yes, and in the 
another thing that's in the book, but it's not in the movie, is that in the book, in the Slusha's Crossing story arc, um, Zachary ends up, he leaves the island, but he goes to like another island, basically. And in the movie, he ends up taking the ship with, he ends up going onto the ship with the like offlanders. And it's not implied in the book, but it's implied in the movie that basically the offlanders, they left earth and then they come back to earth to like study how whatever earthlings are left have become primitive. And he ends up going with one of them and starting a family on another planet. And you learn that at the very end of the film, when you find out that Zachary is telling this entire story to a group of children, the movie begins with him at a fire, like a fire pit telling a story. And you think he's like telling it to himself. And then it turns out, Oh no, by the very end of the film, he's talking to a whole group of kids. And one of them asks like, what is, what are those planets is earth? And he just points like that blue one right there. (laughs) <laughs> and it, it was kind of a I thought it was kind of a neat thing and like maybe I thought a little too hard on it when I first saw it mm-hmm. but that just kind of put things into perspective like whoa but also I was like 20 so <laughs> I was a different person then anyway yeah so so you got any final thoughts Selena I would say I guess we should, like I would say that it was a good ap- adaptation because yes though they kind of changed directions in how they looked at reincarnation and how they cut down some of the story. It still kind of translates the characters, how they were in the book. Like yes. Timothy Cavendish is a wacky old man who has to break out of a senior home and it's freaking hilarious. And yeah, it's great. Um, I, I personally, there's several things in the book where I'm like, Oh, I just wish. But obviously you can't get everything in. Yes. But I thought it was I, I enjoyed it. It was it was besides some of the prosthetics and just how freaking bizarre they all yeah. looked and um, it was a serious scene and I'm laughing at the yeah. actor looking funky. <laughs> yeah. I think it's um I think it's an adaptation that should not work. But it does. Mm -hmm. And it's done because you can tell the people who made this film truly believed in the project. Instead of like there are so many situations where maybe the director believes in it, but the producers don't or the producers believe in it and the director doesn't where it can get jumbled. It can be a mess. But in this case, you could tell everyone knew they had something special. And even if it is a bit of a mess... It's a beautiful mess. I would I would say the only thing that's really negative about it is probably just how weird the prosthetics come across. Yes. But besides that, the acting is fantastic. The they acting is fantastic. The editing. Group, I don't like, we never even talked about the editing, which I think is amazing how they're able to link and connect certain things and there are certain like cuts that are, and certain shots that are kind of um they kind of mirror mimic. They mirror the previous image. one. Yes, um, and that's so the editing incredible. is like outstanding for this film. Yes, it, it, that's what really makes it work. The only, I honestly think the only negative thing is probably the prosthetics and how funky they look. Yes, 
at times. Uh, other than that, yeah, everything else is pretty solid. Go read the book if you haven't read read the book. Yeah, the book's is, great. It is one like just get through that first part of the section and that first section, and then it just picks up from there. Yes, honestly, ten out of ten would would read again. Well, I, I I'm actually planning on reading again because there's so many things I know. Oh I yes. Missed. Um, as soon as I finished it, I actually I gave it to a, a good friend of mine because we were having this long philosophical discussion and he brings up like half of the things that were brought up in the book and how he feels. I'm like, bro, you need to read this. <laughs> bro, I'm bro. talking about you, Jens. <laughs> OK, yeah. y'all, it's been it's been great. And this was a really great one to talk about. And we're really excited because we got another one coming up and we actually have we have an actual schedule now. Yeah, we're, we're going to be more organized, we promise people. We're going to be like adults for the first time in our lives. We're trying. We're doing our best. We're trying. So We appreciate everybody sticking around. We're just yes. trying. Thank no. you all for listening. It's been it's been great. It's been a and crazy ride trying to figure out how to do this and just it's been I'm enjoying every second. Anybody who says that you can just, that doing a podcast is easy, they're liars. They have no idea. Yeah, they know nothing. So the next adaptation we're going to tackle is a graphic novel. We're going to start doing a lot more graphic novels simply because we can ha- they're easier to digest. And that way we can give you guys more content. We can get you more content. Exactly. Sometimes, you know, like with um, Cloud Atlas, that that takes time to get through to like yeah. really try and get grasp onto all the the themes and the, like the motifs. So we're going to try to. Give you some more content. And we're not going to have novels. these three-month intervals between episodes anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. we're Our next adaptation that we're going to tackle is Watchmen, which I'm excited about because I've never read. I'm very excited because I've. novel. And I've, I've never seen the film. So I'm going in completely Oh, my gosh. Blind. Okay. I've, like, I picked I up the book. I watched the opening because I'm like, that's cool. I picked up the book. Or, well, we'll, go, we'll get into that yeah, later we'll, we'll on. Yeah, we'll talk about our journeys about it. But I'm excited because I've never... All right. I have. I don't really know anything about Watchmen. So, yeah, we're excited. All so, right. thanks for listening. And until next time, this has been Time to Adapt.